Welcome to Brave Knitting. This is episode 22 to be released on August 15th, 2020. This is Linda, and I'm here today with B. Hey, everybody. B, what are we being brave about today? We are being brave about finishing and embellishments. Woo! Okay. So, I've done a lot of finishing, particularly lately, due to level two masters. And compared to me, you are the queen of embellishing, because I haven't done that much embellishing. So, we'll each get a little bit to share. But I guess step one in finishing is seaming. Yes. So, for some reason, seaming gets a pretty bad rap. (laughs) (laughs) I know. A lot of people don't like it. And I think it's because a lot of people, I think, don't learn it correctly. And I particularly nowadays, because there are so many sweaters who are that are knit in the round and that you can avoid seaming that I think particularly new knitters think seaming must be bad if everybody's all excited about these (laughs) knit in the round one piece sweaters. Right. Right. Um, I also think it's because with the different seams, you have to do different stitches to sew them together. And when people get scared when they can't remember and so they oh, right, avoid it. Right. I always look up my seams before I do them just to check to make sure I remember it correctly. That's a good idea. That's a good, very good idea. Yeah, and I I have come to really appreciate seaming because I think it I think in some ways some of the knitted pieces seem a little more for lack of a better word finished, right? Yes, I agree. It it adds more structure to right. have the defined seams there. Right. And so you know, a lot of times things just aren't as kind of loose and flowy and whatever. But so I I kind of like seaming and I got really good at seaming in level two Ooh, because I had to do all kinds of seaming and finishing. Or the most common seaming method is the mattress stitch. Right. And one interesting thing that I, I learned, not necessarily that I learned, but I guess I I became aware of is that most seaming techniques in knitting you do from the right side. Yes. Which is confusing to somebody who used to be a sewer, right? Right. <laughs> Where you always sew the, the wrong side. Right. But so in mattress stitch, you know, mattress stitch, the first time you do it, it kind of almost seems like magic, doesn't it? It does. I remember the first time I did it, I was in awe. Really? <laughs> yes. What was the first thing you mattress stitched? Do you remember? I mattress stitched a sweater. Okay. Um, I sewed it in pieces because I thought doing it in pieces would be easier, you know, instead of having to knit the whole sweater at once. Right. And then um, I had my boss show me the mattress stitch and then I replicated it and I was like, I can't believe it looks like a real seam without a sewing machine. Right, right. Yeah. So with mattress stitch, for those of you that don't know, you put the two sides of the garment or whatever you're seaming together vertically. So you have your, okay, it's not the bound off edge, it's the salvage edge on on each side. And then between, this is the part that used to throw me, and I guess the, the mistake that a lot of people make, right? They try to do mattress stitch in the center of the first stitch on each side, right? Right. And you want to find the ladders between the first and second stitch. Yes. And I think for me, the reason I found that odd is that it seems like you're making your your seam thicker and you 
it just seems logical that you want to make it thinner, but you really don't. You want that sturdiness, and so you, you try to find the, the ladder between the first and second stitch on both sides, and you're essentially going underneath the ladder, and then up, and then over to the other side, and then up where you just came out of, right? <laughs> right. Is that right? <laughs> i got to think about this. And then... And it, <laughs> all right, am I losing my mind? No, no, I'm just having to think about it. I should okay. have brought some knitting with me. Right, right. So then you go up to, and you go, no, you you don't go back in. You go into like a, yeah, you go back to where you were. You go underneath the next ladder and then over. And you keep doing that up and up and up and up. And then when you get to the top or when you get along the way, you kind of gently pull. Don't pull too tight. I've made that mistake. You'll scrunch up your seam. You'll yeah. be ruched. <laughs> and then and then once you get it too tight, it's like it's almost impossible to to loosen. Right. It it's hard because you have to pick at each round individually. Right. And especially if you're working with a, a non superwash or sticky yarn, it's like um but the beauty is that the mattress stitch really does magically create this beautiful almost you know, invisible seam. Yeah. So I love mattress stitch now that I've had lots of practice doing it, and I'm, I'm pretty damn good. <laughs> the other stitch that I, I guess I've done before, but I really became a master at, let's say, was last year around this time I was making two little baby sweaters for Zoe, my grandniece. I guess she's your second cousin. I don't know. Once removed. First cousin, once removed. I don't know. Yeah. Your cousin's baby, essentially. Yes. Um, my grandniece. I was making a sweater for Zoe and then for a, um, the baby of a woman that works for dad. And these cute little sweaters that had to be seamed. And it was a knit pearl hunter pattern. And she has really great videos and instructions that go along with a lot of her patterns. She does. And so that's where I learned how to do the, the vertical to horizontal seam. So vertical to horizontal, the most the, the most obvious example is when you're putting in a sleeve, right? Right. Because your, your sleeve is essentially has stitches going vertically at that point, and then the, the shoulders are horizontal. And in that case, you want to start in the middle and work one direction and then go back to the middle and work the other direction. And in this case, you you have to be careful. You want to get underneath the legs of adjacent stitches on the vertical piece, so the sleeve piece in that case. So you're you're not going underneath the whole stitch. You're going through the middle of each stitch, grabbing one leg from each stitch. And then on the horizontal edge, you are it's a, it's a bound off edge, right? Right. And so you want to make sure you go under both legs of the of the bind off. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Yes. Okay. And that's yeah. So those are two of my favorite things to do now in seaming. <laughs> <laughs> so some other seams um, are the Kitchener stitch which most of you will be familiar with from grafting together the tips of socks. Ah, yes. Um, this 
And a lot of times it's used for a shoulder seam. It can also be used for shoulder seams. Um, I once did it to graft an infinity tube scarf together. That oh, worked right. okay. pretty well. So Kitchener actually has a lot of uses to to graft seams together, to make it look like there isn't a seam and you have just knitted continuously this item. Right. I think that people get a little scared because, again, it has a lot of steps and it's easy to get confused about which step to do first because you don't start at the <laughs> beginning of the pattern right, of the right. stitches. So it's one of those things, never be afraid to look it up before you do it. Don't think that that means that you're somehow a lesser knitter. You're not, just to jog your memory. Also, they do make keychains and project bags that have the instructions printed on them. So that can always be a fun, cute way to have it around. I think it's interesting that Kitchener Stitch is one of those things that even the most experienced knitters say, I can never remember what I'm (laughs) supposed to do, and I always have to go look it up. But yeah, I can relate to that. Right. And another one is the three-needle bind-off. So this is both a seam and a bind-off. I've used it for a tank top to... Um, three needle bind off the edges of the skirt of the tank top and I like it because it has such a polished seam so the tank top I was doing was actually in mohair and mohair when being knitted on large needles can show every mistake because it's easy to see what's going on with each wonky stitch but what I liked is it, it came out so clean and it looked like I had sewn it and it was not a bulky seam it was very small. Right. And so I guess with the Kitchener stitch, what we didn't say is you're using a, a tapestry needle yes. with the Kitchener. And so with three needle bind off, you're really just using, as the name implies, three knitting needles. Right. Um, and they look, to me, they look a little similar. They do. And a lot of times, it, three needle bind off is another common thing for a shoulder. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Be brave. Don't be afraid of Kitchener. Don't be afraid of three-needle bind-off. So, speaking of bind-offs, there are some fancy bind-offs, right, that can kind of enhance your knitting. The one we just talked about, the three-needle bind-off. The other one that is I think become really common recently is the I-cord bind-off. Yes. And to me, the I-cord bind-off is kind of magical. I just I just did it again recently on the scarf I made for our Aunt Tilly. And I guess it can be done two stitches, three stitches, four stitches, or I guess even more. I guess you could make them as wide as you want, right? Yeah, theoretically you can. Um, I've only ever seen three and four. I just did one for the three sisters shawl as well. And and that was just three. Right. And I'm going to be adding a, I'm actually, it's not really a bind off, I guess, in this case, but, uh, you know, Pat and I just did the steaking episode the last time, and I steaked my Oranje sweater, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to pick up and do an I-cord kind of facing for my sweater, or, yeah, for the to kind of go over the zipper. But an I-cord, I just think is kind of a, a really lovely, simple edge that you can use on a bind off. You can also use it along, um, like a shoulder, like a sleeveless um, 
shoulder instead of doing ribbing. Like I guess any place you normally might do ribbing if you want to do something different to do an I-cord. Yeah, I think it looks really clean and also it's a great excuse to add a pop of color or oh, a contrasting yeah. color because right. you're probably switching out your yarn ball anyway. Right. And it's it's really simple. I mean, we're not going to try to explain it in an audio podcast because it makes no sense. But yeah, I encourage people that haven't tried it to go and, and watch a YouTube video. We'll, we'll include at least one in our show notes or, you know, find a book. And, you know, it, it really is very simple. It's kind of... Yeah. You're, you're basically doing triple the work for every stitch. So it takes a little time. <laughs> yes, it does. So when you're doing it on like the, a shawl, it just seems to go on and on and on forever. But the, the method is really simple for a very cool looking thing. Um, another fancy bind off, as we'll call them, is a Pico bind off. These are the little teeth or the little zigzags. Oh, like or scallops. Or scallops that you'll see on the edges it's again another fancy bind off that takes a while to do it's a little time consuming because you're doing multiple stitches to get this sort of one peak this one peak edging okay but um i did it for a beaded shawl and while it did take me forever (laughs) and i never thought i was gonna see the end of it it was just gonna be picos for the rest of my life (laughs) Um, I really loved how it turned out. I thought it was really cute and it just added like a little bit of fun. Right. And also now I didn't actually have to do a real bind off because I was, I was done. It was all (laughs) at once. I got it all out of the way. So it's, it's very cute. Again, a great excuse to add a pop of color. You can also bead them. There's a place in the middle of the peacoat to to bead. So if you want even more shine, shimmer, sequins, that's a great place to do it. Next, we have eyelets. Another one that I haven't haven't done either one of those. Eyelets are fun because they make things look a little more lacy. Um, But the trick is you actually just bind off. Instead of doing yarn overs or actual lace work, you're, you're binding off to make a larger hole. And... You just keep on knitting, and eventually you'll get to the point where you'll close the bind off by either recasting on or um, cinching it together to make a teardrop shape, which also looks cool. But they're, they're really easy, uh, way less work than lace, and give a lacy effect. Okay. So, when, so what, what, what do you actually do Mm -hmm. so for the one I did I did the edging this eyelet edging for something called the Caw Valley Wrap Uh, it turned out really pretty it's very big it's a very big wrap you got to be willing to commit to that wrap Um, but basically to make sort of these large eyelets in the edging I actually bound off five stitches and then kept going and when I came back cast it on more. What, do you, what do you mean come back? So I did it in a circle. So it was the edging. Oh, so, so you're going around and around. Okay. Around in a circle around this rectangular shawl. And okay. I was not knitting flat. Okay. Okay. And when I came back to the second round, I cast it on five more stitches and it made this this huge eyelet, this huge oh, hole. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so, and that's much easier than keeping track of your yarn overs and lace. Right. So you can also, we're going to talk about buttonholes later, but you could even kind of do that 
if you were doing it vertically somehow, like it, you could almost make like a buttonhole out of that eyelid, right? Definitely. I think that they have very similar structures. Okay, interesting. All right. All right, so another thing that people seem to dread is picking up. I dread picking up. I fully admit to it. It's <laughs> it's my least favorite activity. Really? Okay. See, and I I used to, I can't say that I used to dread it, but I didn't, didn't like it because I thought mine was a little sloppy and a little cumbersome. But what I, what I learned is I was doing it wrong. It's like, oh my goodness. And I don't know. It's just one of those things that I, maybe I learned it 35 years ago when I first learned to knit, or maybe I learned it correctly and then forgot it when I started knitting again and then I was doing it wrong and it was always looking bad and leaving holes. And so when you're picking up, like rule number one is you have to go under both legs of the stitch. And I wasn't doing that. I was just picking up one leg or just grabbing some pearl bump here or there, whatever. <laughs> well, that'll make it look wonky. <laughs> so... So now that I know what the heck I'm doing, I am much better at picking up. But, well, all right. Do you have anything to say about picking up? Um, so picking up stitches, usually there's a ratio. Oh, that's right. Yes. That you're, Rule number two. That you're told to pick up. Um, usually your pattern tells you um, either the ratio, like pick up three out of four stitches. Right. Because in most cases when you're picking up, you're picking up along the rows, right? And you're going to be knitting, in most cases, like a ribbing or something, you're going to be knitting stitches where the rows are. So generally, for most people's gauge, there are more rows than stitches. Right. So that's why you have to pay attention to the rate. And ideally, you want to calculate what your ratio is. Perhaps even if the pattern tells you, if you're if you were a true master knitter, they would tell you <laughs> to calculate it yourself. But in most, for most people, it's 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 three quarters, right? Um, in most cases, right. And one of the reasons we say you should should definitely calculate this yourself is because if you pick up too many stitches and you don't fix it, so you stay with too many, is that you'll get a ruffle effect. Which yeah. which some people purposely write into garments and for ruffled edges, which right. look very cute, but when done not purposefully on some ribbing, it, it just doesn't look flat. It doesn't lay right. Right, it puckers. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then the same is with the opposite. If you don't cast on enough and then again you don't fix it, you you wind up with your all of your work getting sort of cinched together. Right, right. And again, puckering. Right. Not laying flat and it doesn't look right. So, so this is important and, um, of course anything that's important and can be intimidating because you don't want to mess up. So I'm a little anal retentive about it. <laughs> and my solution to this has, especially for when I have to pick up a lot of stitches, like around a cardigan to pick up ribbing, like 400 stitches, I will actually place removable markers along the way so that I can map out a smaller space with a smaller number of stitches. So if I'm 400, I will place a removable stitch marker where every 10 stitches should be. So I like okay. fold my, my work to make sure right. that they're all evenly spaced. Right. 
market and then I only have to to pick up 10 and that is an easier number to handle and you don't feel bad about pulling back if you if you didn't measure it out right and you got too many or too few you can just take out a couple right. reposition them and keep moving it prevents you from having to rip out a lot of your pickups yeah i i think that's a good idea and I, and i've done that too i can remember one time for um a friend of mine her little granddaughter was extremely premature and was born a little over 3 years ago and i made a a little baby sweater for that ironically enough that same child had brain surgery today I know, at three oh years gosh. old. Still, things related to her being premature. She's actually been doing very well, but she had a procedure today that went well. I got the new report. That's so, so good. So Rosie is doing well. But when I made this cute little sweater for Rosie, I made myself crazy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it, you know, it's a tiny little baby sweater, right? <laughs> and she was a very tiny baby. <laughs> and I was supposed to pick up however many stitches for this and it was, it was like around the whole thing. Cause it was a, a little cardigan and I, you know, I measured it out. I put stitch markers and, and then I, you know, still had to, you know, pick up seven or eight for each of those spaces. And when I was done, I still had the wrong number of stitches and it just made me crazy. And since that time I have heard of a trick and I have actually done this and it's worked out quite well is that you just, pick up <laughs> whatever seems right to you as you're <laughs> as you're going along you know and if it seems like it's you know kind of bunching up and seems too like too many stitches and you skip one that you just kind of wing it and then when you're all done count your stitches and however many you're off let's say you know in the case of your 400 let's right. say you end up with 390 Right. Well, then I know that on the next row, I'm just going to increase 10 stitches evenly throughout. And uh, that is not permissible under the master knitting <laughs> <laughs> of guidelines. However, if if you just want to try that and see how it works out, I have had much success for it. <laughs> um, also, it's, a, it's good to note that there is a difference between your pattern saying pick up stitches and pick up and knit stitches. Yeah, I, I think I've been confused about that in the past. Right, so pick up stitches mean you, means you are just picking up the stitch as normal. You're just putting a stitch where there didn't used to be one and just moving along and collecting them onto your needle. So you stick your needle in and you draw the working yarn up onto your needle. Right. And then you go on to the next, stick it in and draw it up. Exactly. If you're knitting, you actually have to pick it up and knit it then and there before moving on to the next one. Right. And it's important to do that because it gives more height. It's an extra row. And it, it does look slightly different. I don't think it will kill you, of course, if you just pick up right. um, and do the opposite of what your pattern says. But it is something to watch out for. And I'm curious as to why patterns call for one and then the other because in most cases you're gonna you're gonna knit that next row anyway so I guess if there are any designers out there that want to <laughs> fill us in as to why they choose one over the other I just I would just be curious I don't did we mention the tip about using a smaller needle um maybe no. I can't remember if I, if I said that or not no we didn't um but a lot of times that can make picking up stitches a whole lot easier 
uh, just go down a needle size or two or three and, and, and use that. All right, buttonholes. Whew. All right, so <laughs> there's, there's like a million types of ways to do buttonholes. Yep. And I would recommend testing them out. That was one thing that was kind of fun to do. One of my favorite parts of the level two masters is we had we had to do three different swatches that had to do with buttonholes. But on two of them, you could do you had to do three different types of buttonholes. Oh wow. And and then on my own I just went and tested out like every which one I could. Now buttonholes are generally kind of categorized into three different ways, like a, a yarn over, which is essentially just like a hole. Um, vertical buttonholes, and then horizontal. Now, you said you've done some vertical, right? I have. Um, I did one for, for a sweater. I, and I did the method where you, you bind off, and then with two, two different balls of yarn, you, you go up. Do you bind off, or you just, you don't bind off, you just stop? I mean, you get to the place of the, the buttonhole, and you just stop, Right. You're not binding off, you, and then you knit back and back forth and back and forth, right? Right, and then you, you pick up the and other then you side pick up, yeah. later. Right. It's a bit tedious. It is tedious. I, I will admit. All um, the methods are tedious, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will give that to the yarn over. I don't think the yarn over is as tedious. But what I like about the vertical is that, you know, you're not necessarily using the buttons that the designer used. Right. And, and in a lot of respects, you're not necessarily even able to use anything like, or, or do you want to use anything like? So for this sweater, I wanted mother of pearl buttons. I didn't really care about the size or shape. I just really wanted mother of pearl buttons because I thought it would look really pretty. Okay. And so what I liked is it was easy enough to sort of measure the button diameter against the buttonhole I was making and stopping when it was good for the button, not when the pattern said. Oh, right. Yeah, you're right. In a vertical, that's probably easiest to do. Right. So so I did like that. And I think that's something good to remember is that you should you should always, when you make your buttonhole, always test it with your button <laughs> just so you know it will work. Yes, 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 yes. I think I've run into that dilemma before. And you had another tip about if you're gifting these garment, right? Yes, if you are if you're gifting a garment that has buttons such as a cardigan, my favorite thing to do is like what you see when you you buy a blouse or something and sew an extra button onto the inside of the garment so that if one of the buttons pops off, breaks, chips, that they can cut the extra button off and sew it back on themselves. That's a that's a good idea. Um the horizontal buttonhole there are what I discovered what I was surprised to discover is that there are many many ways to do the horizontal I, I mean I must have come across like probably five or six as many as eight ways essentially it, you're you're getting to the place of the buttonhole you're binding off and then at some point you're casting back on um, but there are many, many variations of doing that. I thought that the the Vogue knitting book had had probably some of the best tutorials, and and they showed many different examples and why you might want to use one or the other. They also had a very interesting 
buttonhole, they call it the buttonhole for ribbing. And I've never seen this anywhere else. So I don't know where it came from, but, and it was, it was not vertical and it was not horizontal. It's really kind of hard to describe, but you were essentially doing a number of um, yarn overs and knitting and purling two together when you got to the place of your button. So I guess it was kind of sort of a vertical buttonhole, but but not really, but it was really interesting. And if you have that book, I would recommend trying that out. And I would recommend if you have to make buttons, buttonholes, that do some swatching and test out different Definitely. methods and see what they look like. Definitely. All right. All right. <laughs> I um, have a cough here. <laughs> on to some um, pockets. Now, you have not done pockets. I actually have not done pockets, which I think is kind of funny that I've sort of accidentally somehow avoided them because there are definitely garments in my Ravelry project queue or favorites that have pockets in them. So I'm not scared of them. I've just... Just haven't gotten around to them. Yeah. And the, and the, the interesting thing about pockets, and I guess what I would encourage all of you brave knitters out there is... Even if a pattern doesn't call for pockets, right? put a pocket in. Now, there are a couple. I'm only going to talk about two different types here, and I'll mention a third. But the, the easiest is just a patch pocket, which exactly what it sounds like. You just knit a pocket, you mend a little patch pocket, and then you sew it onto the front of the garment, just like you would you know, if you were sewing a patch pocket on something else. Pretty simple. Then there is the inset pocket, which is you know a little more interesting and most instructions that I have seen for an inset pocket oh let's see if I can get this right have you making the liner of the pocket first so you make a little liner the top stitches are on waist yarn or a holder or another needle or something and you on the garment, you knit across until you get to the top of where you want your button to be. And at that point, you bind off, or probably don't bind off, but you put on knee, um, scrap yarn or holder the number of stitches that your pocket is. And you take the stitches from the liner and you put those on your needle. So now you're just going to continue to knit your garment and that um the front of the pocket is basically kind of hanging open where those um stitches that you were previously knitting that were part of the garment are are on a holder and then you just continue up and so now you have this kind of flap that's sort of dangling behind that at some point you have to go back and stitch up and and that's fine except i think it's cumbersome when you have to stitch that pocket lining to the fabric and once again, in the level two master knitting program, there was a we had to do a really interesting inset pocket that you essentially did the opposite. Okay. And I've only found one video online that showed how to do this, and I'll put a link to it. It's by Roxanne Richardson, I think is her name. I should have I, I looked at it earlier. I think it's Roxanne Richardson, but I'll put a link to it. And essentially, it's just a little bit neater because what you do is you, you knit across on the garment to the point where you want the bottom of the pocket to start. And you put, you put the stitches 
on waste yarn and then you knit the lining. <laughs> oh, so you, you, you pick up, so you've got stitches on, on the holder and on the back of those stitches that are on the holder, you pick up through the purl bumps and to create the lining and then you knit across. So, so that's the lining that's essentially attached to the garment, if that makes sense. Right. It's really hard to describe. Um, and then you go back and you do the front of the pocket. So the lining's already attached at the bottom. You then go back and you knit the front of the pocket. And as you're knitting the front of the pocket, you're picking up that that lining has garter ridges on each end. Mm-hmm. So as you're knitting across with the pocket now, you also pick up one of the garter bumps from the, the lining that you've previous. So you essentially don't have to seam. So it, it's kind of a... a cool pocket yeah um, the other way to do pockets is to just build them into a seam and you know kind of like like you like like a lot of jackets and things have so that when you're knitting you you can actually like create like an extension that's going to then get turned inside out and and seam right think about right. how you would sew right um i have not tried that so but that's another way to do it. Okay. All right. Embellishment. Embellishment. All right. This is your ter- territory because I haven't done any of these things. I'm actually really excited to talk about these because I think they are much easier to do than people think. I think they elevate your work um, and they just they make it look that much more professionally done. Okay. So the first one is beading. There are two ways to do this. The first one is what I would call the the standard or traditional method where you string all of your beads onto your ball of yarn and then you knit and you pull a bead up along the string every time you need it to be at a specific stitch. Okay, I understand. Um, That is not my preferred method. My preferred method is to use a beading hook. They come in different sizes. They look just like a very tiny crochet hook. And you put, you string all of your beads onto this hook, and then whenever you want to put a bead into your work, you knit or purl or do whatever, and then you slip the bead on just like you were crocheting it. So the bead comes down over the legs of the stitch. Well, that's why I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. The the bead comes down over the legs of the stitch, and then you you put your, your stitch back onto your needle. Okay. I've seen people do this. Yeah, it's it's actually really, really simple and it goes much quicker than you would think. Either either method is actually pretty fast. Okay. Um so so don't be intimidated. There are sizes for both the beads and the the beading hook, so you do need to pay attention to that. Usually your pattern will recommend it. If not, I find that a size six bead <laughs> and um whatever the most common beading hook you can find is works works just great um but yeah my last beaded garment had 1100 beads in it oh my goodness it it's really heavy it must have weighed a ton (laughs) it is really heavy I'll give it that I don't know um I haven't been brave enough to wear it because I'm so scared I'm gonna (laughs) snag it on something there's so much lace and beads but um 
it went much faster than I thought. So, you know, <laughs> give it, give it a go, guys. It's, okay. it's good. And even if your pattern doesn't call for beads, just throw them in. Just throw them in. Put them in anywhere. Make it sparkly. Well, and you could do something subtle, too, if you just want to put beading, like, maybe, like, around, like, a cuff. Oh, yeah. Or a, a collar. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to, like, go crazy and... <laughs> Look like you're going to Las Vegas in 1956, right? You don't have to put a thousand and one hundred beads <laughs> in your project. <laughs> um, next is embroidery. Adding a little bit of embroidery. Embroidery got really big into the fashion scene, I guess, um, several years ago. You started seeing embroidery make a bit of a comeback in runway fashion, and um, it has stayed, which I really love. So I think the the biggest trick to this is you embroider just like normal. You make your fabric, so you knit or crochet your fabric, and then you just embroider over. One, you have to know how to embroider. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but that, again, is easy. Look up some YouTube uh, videos or tutorials. Um, You can do some pretty simple stitches. Because there's a handful of real basic embroidery stitches that once you master those, you can do most things that are required, right? Yeah. I would I would say it's actually pretty simple. Yeah, you just need to know like three to five stitches and then you can make anything. And even like pretty like rosettes um, are super easy to make. Once you see them done, you can replicate them, I promise. I think the trick to this though, and it's easier on a crocheted piece of fabric, is to make sure that when you put your hoop, your embroidery hoop, onto your fabric that you don't stretch your fabric because it is so much easier on knitted fabric than woven fabric which is traditionally used so do I have to use an embroidery hook no not not at all okay I I find it to be just a little simpler just because that's um, how I learned how to embroidery was on a hoop but especially if you think that you're going to stretch out your fabric, which will not help your embroidery at all. Right. You can just add a couple of pretty stitches or a cute little flower, like as an embellishment along the collar, and you don't need a hoop for that. Okay, okay. Um, just make sure you don't stretch your fabric out. <laughs> and you'll, you'll, it'll be great. And pom-poms, tassels, and fringe. <laughs> my favorite. They're adorable, and they belong on every shawl. Um... I do like fringe. Yeah. And I, I have a I have a card. Remember the that, that cardigan vest oh, yeah. that I, I bought at a store that I still want to kind of try to replicate something similar mm-hmm. to, to knit myself. And it has fringe, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, fringe is super easy. You basically just tie strips of yarn onto your garment or your blanket or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, gives a fun effect. Super simple. Yep. Go for it. The The only thing to, to watch out for is make sure you care for that fringe in terms of caring for your garment. Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't use a, like that, that vest I happen to have is a cotton yarn. Mm-hmm. So cotton is fine. I probably wouldn't use a non-superwash, real sticky wool to do fringe, right? Because it's yes. going to all stick together. Yeah, it's going to want to felt after a while, especially if you wash it, so... Watch out for that. But otherwise, it's super fun. Uh, Tassels are basically just fringe wrapped together. (laughs) Um, So the the best and easiest way that I saw, if you want to just do them quick and for fun, is you take a fork and you wrap yarn around the tines of the fork. Okay. And then through two of, like, the first 
and second time, you actually draw another piece of yarn around and tie it, and then you can pull the whole thing off. You can cut the long edges so that they will be free from each other and create the tassel effect, and you can wrap more yarn around where you tied to give a thicker bolt effect. Okay. And then you just tie it onto your garment. Yeah. Anne loves tassels. She's, she's done <laughs> tassels on some uh, shawls, I believe. They're they're cute and fun and can be multicolored. My my favorite thing is multicolored pom poms and tassels right now. Um, Alexandra Davidoff on Ravelry right has quite the tassel pattern. I recommend. Oh really? You look it up. It is it is an incredible tassel. It has layers and beads and it's it's quite it's quite fun. Okay, I'll have to look that up. Uh, last is pom poms. Again, super easy. You don't need to buy them. You can make them out of yarn. There are pom-pom makers that are plastic and reusable and buyable. I think they work. I've used them before. I think that, you know, for like the 5 or $8 you pay for them, they, they totally pay off. But you don't need them. You can just take two squares of cardboard right, and wrap your yarn around the cardboard, then take a separate piece of yarn and string it through the two pieces, tie and then cut. That's what we did back in my day, back when I was in high school and I was a cheerleader and we made these pom-poms that went on our saddle shoes. <laughs> that Yes, they were quite fun. Um, so that's good. Um, and those are great for like the tops of the hats. And right now I think there's, there's quite this trend towards fur pom-poms on right, beanie hats. Right. But you can just brush out a pom-pom with like a wire brush. And while it won't replicate per fur perfectly, it, it does actually look more like fur than yarn. You, oh, you, okay. It gets sort of um, a hair effect. So it's cheap. It's easy. <laughs> it's, it's homemade. Um, it's in the correct color. <laughs> So, and considering some of those those fancy fur pom-poms are upwards $25, $30. I saw, found some really good ones, though, on Amazon oh. for really cheap. Ooh, okay. Just send me that link. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I got, uh, yeah, like, and they're like real fox. Ooh. Okay. So, all right. I am raving today about... Um, a sweater that I made actually before Christmas. It was a Christmas gift for my friend Annie. And it is called, all right, my French is not very good, so I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but it's Le Scarabie Bleu <laughs> is the name of the pattern by Le Maison Relili. And this sweater, it's a cardigan that the top part of it is a basic stockinette. But the bottom part, which starts kind of like kind of like empire waist, I'd say, uh, you know, right underneath the bust, it has um, a kind of a bubble. It was a bubble stitch pattern, so it was kind of different. You know, just broke up the monotony of the stock and knit. It had a pleat in the back that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. It had some German short rows in a couple of different places, including kind of uh, like the hip area where it kind of, it kind of was like lower in the front and in the back and kind of went up like on the side. 
which was very interesting. And then it had a very cool three needle bind off all the way around it. So it was just, um, it, to me, it was just an interesting sweater to make because it had some different construction than I was used to. And, and oh, it also had, before you did the three needle bind off, there was also a mitered ribbing that you did around the whole thing. So, you know, you basically picked up and, and did a ribbing around the whole thing. But when you came to the corners, you had did like a mitered corner, which I had never done before, which was very cool. And then on top of that, you did the, the uh, I-cord. So, and the good news is it fit my friend Annie and she loves it. <laughs> That's awesome. What are you raving about? I am raving about Kookaburra Wool Wash. Okay. Um, I really love their wool wash. It is amazing. It comes in several scents. My favorite is lavender, but you can also get unscented. Um, I think that they're great because when you give somebody a garment that they need to hand wash, unless they are a knitter themselves or, or are familiar with needlework, chances are they're just going to use soap to wash your garment. And if you used some really nice wool, per se, you probably don't want them just using, like, normal detergent. So giving them a small little bottle of wool wash goes great. And you can buy all sizes of bottles. Okay, yeah. Off of the Kookaburra website. And I've met them personally, and they're very sweet. It's a very sweet couple who run it. Oh, okay. Well, where, do you know where they're located? Or? Um, I met them when they came to Fiberfest Dallas. Right, okay. Are they in Texas, do you know, or you don't remember? I don't remember. Okay. Okay. So, my misbehave is I'm working on the Holy Moly, which is the sweater that I talked about on our very first episode almost a year ago, and I have finally been working on it. And holy moly essentially is just buttonholes all over the damn sweater. <laughs> like really big buttonholes that you do every 11 stitches and then every other 11 rows. So, so they're kind of staggered. So it's just button, you know, so you're just, and, and you're, so you're binding off and then you're doing a cable cast on back and then you knit across to the next one and then you when you get through that row you're like so relieved to be doing stockinette for 10 more rows that you you're <laughs> jumping for joy <laughs> well I've been and I am holding together a lace weight mohair and then another yarn that I can't remember if it's a lace weight or a very tiny fingering and I think it's my first time to actually use two oh. yarns held together and so and they're very sticky you know the mohair is very sticky this other yarn is very sticky and what happened for me is that I I got confused somehow when I got <laughs> you know I, I'm kind of on autopilot when I'm knitting most of this so I had bound off and then you know, then, you know, so you bind off and then you turn the work and then you cast on and then you turn again. I don't know. Somewhere I got confused about turning or not turning or I turned an extra time. And I had bound off, I think, and I normally bind off 11 stitches. I think I had bound off about eight stitches in a place where I wasn't supposed to be binding off. 
Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's not a knitted bind off. It's just a slip the stitch, slip the previous stitch over it, slip the next stitch, slip, you know. Mm, yeah. And with this sticky yarn, to undo that yeah. was a nightmare. I mean, it took me, I'll bet it took me almost two hours oh, to undo what I had done. And at one point I thought I was going to have to like, <laughs> like cut it out or something. I, I just could not, you know, figure out what I had done. But it was kind of a nightmare. I persevered and um, I finally got through it. it the, the, the yarn, the, the garment doesn't look so great in that area. It's, it's a little, but, you know, because there's holes all over the sweater, I'm thinking, well, probably when it's, you know, after it's blocked and everything, no one's going to notice. Right. But, but that was a really bad misbehave the other night. <laughs> the other misbehave I have, kind of a general one, when it comes to both the three needle bind off and the kitchener stitches, that I have to get, a, get into a mantra. You know, like pearl on, oh. knit off. Yeah. And if I get off the mantra, <laughs> and I find that if I get off the mantra and I do the wrong thing, it's really hard for me to figure out how to undo what I have messed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Undoing those stitches is kind of a nightmare. Yeah. So that's another misbehave that I, I don't have a save for, unfortunately. <laughs> what um, about your misbehave? My misbehave is this cable blanket I'm working on. It's very pretty cables. However, this this pattern is called Donegal out of Spinnerin book number 222. It's very old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard copy because you can't actually like buy it off of Ravelry. It's it was something that was like printed in the 80s basically. Oh, so long ago. So long ago. I was not <laughs> alive in that decade. So I was. <laughs> Um, anyway, as I was starting this blanket, um, one of the cables was not working out. And unfortunately, because this is an older pattern, not a lot of people have done it. And so I couldn't really find oh. any sort of trace of it online. And eventually I just went back and did the cable the way I thought it should be done and not the way that was written, which was the right call. There should be an errata for this pattern. Okay. Um, but when I first did it, it gave me a lot of grief because I thought it was me messing up until I realized it was the pattern was written incorrectly. Okay. But it's fixed now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my save this time is a little trick that I discovered that I actually I shared with my friend Chris, who lives in Canada and listens to us. And, and Chris really loves this, this tip, and she told me that I should include it on the podcast sometime. So, and it has to do with mattress stitch. And what I found with mattress stitch is staying, staying in the right row of ladders, and because in the past, you know, we mentioned before that you want to get the ladders between the first and second stitch. But sometimes I would get off and I would end up once again kind of going over and being in the middle of that first stitch or I'd be in the middle of the second stitch or something. I, I seem to mess up a lot and have a hard time just finding that ladder. So my trick was, as I found, I took a very tiny, like a size one, let's say, double pointed needle, and I would kind of thread it 
through the ladders. So it becomes my guide, you know, and then I just kind of move it up each time so that it, it helps me find the right ladder. So that is my save of the episode here. Uh, my save is more of um, a confident save for any of you knitters and crocheters out there who have wanted to try designing patterns and either just haven't worked up the courage yet or quickly got beaten down by the <laughs> endeavor. So designing is actually something I've always wanted to try because I, I knit enough and read enough patterns. I'm like, surely I can I can do this myself. I'm creative and I sew and... I've designed clothes before, so surely I can design a piece of knitwear. Um, But I've really, really struggled with it. It's not something that came very easy for me. And I found that there was this um, individual. She goes by Aurora, Aroha Knits, A-R-O-H-A Knits. And she does this design challenge that's free once a year called the Yarn Alchemist Challenge. And in five days, she takes you through the process via email and Zoom calls and Facebook through designing your own cowl. So at day one, she talks about sort of the inspiration. And by day five, you have an actual working pattern with a swatch. Cool. And I did this. And I have an actual like working pattern (laughs) with a swatch. All right. Uh, It was really amazing. she she's um, very good at teaching and teaching design work. So if you if you want to give it a shot, you should look her up. It's it's worth it. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. That sounds really interesting. Maybe we can sell it in the Brave Knitting store someday. Mm, yes, when I finally <laughs> get it all like test knitted and photographed. <laughs> all right. So my crave. This is going to surprise you. Mm. Is a sweater called. All right, this is a really, really dumb name for the sweater. It is from the early fall 2019 Vogue Knitting magazine. Okay. And the name of it is Number 11 Fair Isle Yoke Pullover. Now, the reason this is a really dumb name is it's a cardigan. (laughs) So so why it's called Number 11 Fair Isle Yoke Pullover, I don't really know. But it's a, a sweater that I just I saw in the magazine, and I just really you know it it has some color work in the yoke. the The body of the sweater is a in the in the photographs in the magazine is gray, but it has embroidery oh. on the arm. You know, kind of simple little flowery things, not too much, not not something that I would normally go for because I tend to go for more tailored things mm-hmm. and not the you know foofy little flowery things, but. There's just something about this that has really appealed to me. Now, whether or not I'm ever going to get around to actually knitting it, and actually, if I actually knit the sweater, would I ever get around to doing the embroidery? I don't know. Maybe I'd just send it over to you and you can embroider it for me. But but I think it's a really cute pattern. So that's my crave. What's your crave? My crave is the Likey Driftwood Minis Interchangeable Needle Set. Ah, okay. So I have the the standard interchangeable set, and I, I really like them. I think they're great. I also love the color. It's gray needles in a gray pouch, right. and I really love the color gray. So I would love the minis. I'm working on a hat right now, and I'm doing uh, yeah. a magic loop, which is uh. where you use a very <laughs> long cord to, to knit a very small circle, and it's a bit of a pain. It just takes a little longer, but completely doable. But these would just make it so much better, and they're such nice needles. 
and I want them. <laughs> okay, well, too bad your birthday was last week and we didn't know about it. But I got a really pretty La Crusette um, right. that I've already used. Oh. I made chili. Okay. It was amazing. Excellent. So that was our 30,000 feet overview of finishing and embellishment. We hope that we have encouraged you to try some of these techniques. And as always, be brave! Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information, check out Brave Knitting at Facebook for Ravelry Group. You can also find us on Instagram at B-E-E Brave Knitting and email us at B-E-E Brave Knitting at gmail.com.